All right. Hello, Ben. Hi, Leslie. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's really nice to see you. And thanks for being here. So um, I'm here with Ben Harris. And Ben, would you mind giving a little introduction for yourself and let people know um, what your background is? Yep, sure. I I certainly will. Uh, Well, I'm a a psychotherapist. Uh, I guess I've been practicing for uh, not a vast amount of time, best part of a decade, I suppose, now. Don't know where the time goes, really. Um, And I practice in London and the Channel Islands, uh, British Channel Islands. Uh, I do work online as well, further afield. Uh, uh, Before I was a psychotherapist, I used to work in the city of London uh, as an analyst and then a lawyer. Uh, So I've kind of had a bit of a a journey, I suppose, to get to where I am now. Well, that's Uh, an interesting trajectory from law hmm. to therapy. I know a couple of other people who've done it, but I think it's not uh, it's not that common. I think the the skills are quite different. Uh, so there's not a I would say there's not a vast amount of transferable skills from law to psychotherapy, but that's good in a way, right? You, know, you can teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I I was in law school when I decided I wanted to instead switch tracks and go into um, counseling. So. Uh. So you actually, you're, I can, I can add you to my list of uh, <laughs> people who moved in that direction. My small yeah. list. Just a s- similar flavor anyway. Yeah. yeah. So Ben, you are a contributing author to the new book, um, the new CTA book. Would you kind of give a little bit of an overview of that project and, and talk a little bit about your contribution to it? Certainly I will. So you know, I think this is quite an important project, actually, without wanting to, you know, blow our own trumpets. Uh, I think uh, initially the genesis of this was a little while ago now. So uh, a few people were starting to, a few people in the psychology and therapy sphere were starting to write articles online about uh, some of the negative influences of critical social justice in the therapy sphere. Uh, this sort of ideology, ideologizing of therapy, if you like. Um, and therapy, I, I would say, is an avowedly non-ideological activity. Uh, although, you know, I've had some interesting conversations about that with some of my more woke clients, uh, actually. But uh, it's, always, it's always interesting to have these discussions. But I um, had been concerned about this for some time. I remember I initially started paying attention to uh, an unknown Canadian psychology professor called Jordan <laughs> uh, a while ago, whilst I was training, actually. And I remember reading all this stuff about that he might be uh, sort of struck off uh, from from practice and and sort of lose his 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 job at. Uh, I think it's Toronto University, wasn't it, for um, uh, not having uh, a, a sort of uh, a, a, a critical gender theory approach to sex and gender, and I just remember thinking at the time, "Wow, that seems pretty, pretty mad to me. Actually, pretty strange," mm-hmm. um, because 
I thought we lived in a in a sort of broadly liberal polity where people were entitled to disagree and have different opinions and actually could disagree well. Because I think actually knowing how to just disagree well is a very important skill, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, uh, I felt a little bit of a canary in a coal mine. And obviously I've, I've got a British experience, which is different to yours, but really since about maybe about 2015, 16, I've been observing the cultural shifts and I've been very concerned by the increasing authoritarianism uh, as I would see it that is developing in our cultures, particularly I would say uh, in Western Anglophone countries. Uh, I'm not qualified to speak so much about continental Europe, but certainly I think in, in uh English-speaking countries, there's uh, an increasing authoritarianism, I would say. And as a therapist, as a trainee and then a therapist, I was sort of thinking about this, and uh, it didn't particularly impact me in my training. Thankfully, we had a diversity module, which was very open. And indeed, I remember, uh, actually, our our diversity tutor invited the group to uh, think about what it might be like to be a conservative in, oh, in the group. Wow. Uh, and oh, I actual think, diversity of viewpoint, not absolutely. just... Absolutely. And mm. I think things have changed a bit. Mm. I think things have changed a bit since then. Um, so I wrote, I, I saw an article by Val Thomas, published on James Lindsay's uh, New Discourses uh, site. Mm-hmm. And um, Val actually had been a trainer at my institute, so I knew her uh, very uh, distantly. And I sent her an email uh, to say, it's really good to see you making some of these points, which you know, I think need to be made. Well done. Kind of put a few of my thoughts in there about it. And uh, she, uh, well, we had a little exchange and then she asked me to, uh, if I would consider contributing a chapter to this book that she's putting together. Uh, so that's that's how that came about for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you may be aware, it just got published a couple of weeks ago. It's been a bit of a delay because uh, this project initially started in 2021, I think. Uh, so we're a little, we're a little bit uh, sort of down the line now. But my goodness, everything it says is still as relevant today uh, as it would have been a year or two ago. And the book is entitled Cynical Therapies? The book is entitled Cynical Therapies, mm-hmm. a little play on cynical theories, as mm-hmm. you can probably, probably notice. Um, it's entitled Cynical Therapies uh, on the basis that some of these critical uh, social justice-oriented ways of doing things, there is a certain cynicism to it. You know, they might, might not actually be that therapeutically effective. Uh, and, I mean, goodness me, I'd read a couple of chapters from a few people, but actually having got the book a couple of weeks ago, I feel absolutely honoured to be a part of the uh, the lineup because there are some very, uh, very insightful, very, very thoughtful people in there. Uh, a number of them have been published before. Uh, they've had books out on other subjects. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, some you know, very learned figures. And, um, you know, we've all come together with not the same, I wouldn't say, but sort of similar, sometimes sometimes similar, sometimes divergent sort of concerns and emphases about what we perceive going on 
in in the therapy uh field mm-hmm. um but it's uh you know i feel very very optimistic about this project actually it's a powerful book it's got a lot of uh a lot of strong thinking in it a lot of um uh you know, it, it, it really <laughs> makes you think, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I also found Val through that same article on new discourses. Mm. And I was, um, I think I was in my first year of graduate school at that point. And I was really just completely surprised by what I was experiencing in school and I was really dismayed and confused and um sort of becoming discouraged because of the the ideological tenor of of the program Mm. and finding her writing it really uh that article it it summed up a lot of my concerns and it articulated them in a way that I hadn't been able to because I was sort of I was still trying to sort of parse this and understand what was even happening and here she came in with this perspective which really illuminated um the scope of of this and why it was so why it was so wrong to be injecting these ideas into the counseling sphere and I felt understood. I mean, I just, I immediately reached out to her and that's, that's how I um, first found CTA. It was uh, like a beacon for me at the, at that point, because it was such a reality check. Like, no, I'm not crazy. This really is happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great. So I, I'm so glad that there's more people coming together and, and putting this information out. It's, it's gotta be so encouraging for people coming across this especially students who are entering this field at this time yes and i think it's uh <laughs> i think it's an intimidating field to be entering if you are not an orthodox thinker if you're if you're thinking uh it kind of aligns you towards curiosity heterodoxy thinking around ideas uh that traditionally would have been a great uh kind of useful starting point for a therapist but i think these days these days there's maybe a sense that actually that's not quite so welcome now isn't that strange though as you say that at uh, that with those characteristics i curiosity heterodoxy i mean the ability to think around ideas those examples are exactly what you'd want with somebody who's going to be making their job sitting with different individuals and being open to different worldviews all day long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just am struck so, by that. You? Yes. Yes, it, it is it is it is a remarkable thing. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think uh I also found CTA quite a, a beacon. Um and I think uh, what I like about it uh particularly is it is a different focus. So a lot a lot of what we I think it's very easy to get you know, wrapped up in a kind of culture war kind of um, dynamic, uh, which is broadly political, broadly ideological, I would say. Um, And what's great about CTA, what's important about this book, I think, is that this book is not a political book, right? All of the contributors, you know, we've got different, we've got different political, different political commitments, no political commitments um you know it's not about politics this is about 
this could also apply to any ideology, by the way, mm -hmm. right? So although although CSJ is the the danger to therapy at the moment, actually this could equally apply to um, to 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 a different ideology, to a kind of a kind of right wing nationalist ideology, for instance. Um, you know, this is this book is about what happens when you systematically squash, kind of push down and crush the spiritual and psychological and ethical aspects of what it is to do therapy, right? Because our, our job is fundamentally to help people grow, right? That's, that's how I would see it. You know, therapy, and we, we, and we bring different kind of skills to that, right? You know, some people are person-centered, some people are more psychoanalytic. You know, I'm more, I'm more that, I'm less person-centered. Um, you know, my practice is sort of mixture of psychoanalysis, existentialism, and some Jungianism, uh, some trained integratively. Uh, but, you know, different people come at it from their CBT, of course, much more structured. So different people are coming at it from different angles. But the basic idea is pretty clear, actually. The initial goal is to help people heal, mm -hmm. then is to help them grow. Um, and what, what bringing ideology into therapy does is it guts that. It, it mm -hmm. rips that out. It rips the heart out of therapy, right? Mm -hmm. Because what it what you end up with is a scenario where you are teaching people to parrot orthodoxies political orthodoxies, ideological orthodoxies. Um, I think it was the, uh, it was the, uh, the, the French Marxist, uh, who was it? it, was Althusser, I think, who, yes, it was, who talked about um, the, the fact that ideology is always a justification for power, mm -hmm. right? And how do you, how do you, how do you kind of, uh, how do you maintain power? How do you solidify power? You do it, by deciding what the discourse is and what, what, the, what the acceptable realms of inquiry are and what the answers are. So there are no unknown questions and there are no unknown answers. Hmm. All the questions and all the answers are known in advance. And that is fundamentally antithetical to what therapy is about. Because every, you know, every therapeutic experience with a new client of course, there are similarities and there are patterns, but every new experience with a new client, that's a that's a that's a that's a new becoming, that's a new engagement, that's a new experience. And if you if you think it's the kind of therapist's job to sit in front of the client and kind of tell them what their concerns are and what their problems are, oh, you you know you're, you're coming because you're you 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 feel like there's no meaning in your life and your your marriage is breaking down and you're wondering what you've done with the last ten years. Ah, oh, well. I've got a prescription for that. Mm -hmm. And that's to do with oppressive hegemony in society. Mm -hmm. It's, it just doesn't help. Uh, so, you know, there's a, there's a real need for this book and there's some, there's some great people in here, by the way, there's some great chapters on, um, you know, examining kind of CT, uh, uh, CSJ as a kind of, um, uh, like a kind of religious kind of perspective, sort of a God-shaped hole, through a Jungian perspective, mm -hmm. there's a colleague of mine, uh, a great chapter on talking about, um, and maybe this bears thinking about actually, that actually one thing that's happening to therapy, I would say, is that we're becoming a kind of, 
representative of the of the kind of the the accepted mores, the accepted ideas in society. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me like you had kind of the the blunt end of that experience when you were doing your training. Mm-hmm. Uh, from you know, it sounds like you were kind of basically told, well, all right, yes, there's a, there's a bit of space to ask some questions as long as we're heading in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And then after that, well, you you, you got to get with the program. Well, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it is that is a very good way to sum it up. And I really like the framework that you're that you offer for all of this. And one of the things that I wanted to pick up on, I noticed you used the word prescription, and this is this maybe is a little bit of a tangent, but it ties into something else that you said earlier. You use the word prescription as a metaphor in that example. Here's the prescription. It's here's <laughs> let's inject some critical uh, consciousness into the equation here, but also in in a similar vein the medical, the medicalization almost represents another ideology that's, that I feel similarly concerned with in the therapy field. And so often we are seeing that in the literal, not metaphorical sense that people are coming in and just receiving a prescription, not obviously from a psychotherapist or counselor usually, but when they bring these problems to a general practitioner or to their family doctor, there's, that's been a trend as well, this trend in medicalization of mental health. And I see it almost, and again, this is tangential, but it does tie into what you said earlier about how it doesn't have to be this particular ideology. It could be any ideology. It's interfering with this concept of the self growth, the growth of the self, the, the individual's capacity for healing and, and growth. Mm. And so I, I, what do you think about that? I I have a lot of sympathy with that view, and, and of course you're right. You know that that healing and self growth is, I mean, it's kind of inevitably idiosyncratic, right? Because mm-hmm. everybody's got their own, uh, you know, everyone's got their own cross to bear, to use another metaphor. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got their own pain, their own suffering, and everybody needs to make their own kind of accommodation, their own uh, compromise to mm-hmm. the pain of the world. And the pain internally, the psychodynamic conflicts are being pulled in different directions. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the medicalization, it's it's an interesting thing, is it sort of the I don't even use the phrase mental health very often, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't I don't conceive of what I do as as a medical activity or even a pseudo-medical activity, mm-hmm. actually. I, I think it's uh, it's actually much more akin to a philosophical activity, a kind of a, a, a dialogue uh, rather than a, a, a medical activity, I think. But it's got lots of different aspects to it. And, you know, we all know that the, I don't have them offhand right here. I'm not really a stats guy. I'm more of a kind of big picture guy, which might, might be another way, of course, of uh, saying that I'm a, a kind of a airy fairy. But you know, we 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 all know that the number of prescriptions for you know depression, anxiety, ADHD, these things are 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 up, and they're up and up and up, and they they continually go up. And you know, human uh, maybe people want to take a pill and feel better, right? And you know, I'm I'm not here to tell them they can't do that, but I am here to say. It's not how I do it. And, you know, therapy, 
is a very powerful tool because it invites us to accept the nature of reality as it is, rather than as we would like it to be. And then, it, then to grieve the fact that reality is, is as imperfect as it is, and then move forward in the face of that. And if you're taking a pill, it might remove your symptoms, but it doesn't give you power. And I'll tell you what gives you power, because I think, I think therapy is about power, actually. It's about helping people build resilience and become empowered in their own lives to make their own choices. And you only really become empowered when you understand yourself and you understand the world around you and don't see it through kind of, you know, rose tinted lenses. Um, so this, this kind of medicalization of therapy, again, it's a kind of misconstrual of the human experience of the human condition. It's kind of saying, well, oh, suffering is abnormal come here, I can give you a pill for that. And don't get me wrong, you know, I would never say to a client, you know, don't, don't go and, don't go and seek a kind of uh, medical support if you feel you need it. You know, I, I always say to people, you know, if you feel you need it, go and have a chat with your GP. That's not my area. This, what we're doing here is something different. So there's different ways, different paths to healing. Uh, but I know that talking therapy is, is a very powerful tool and it's unfortunately becoming blunted. It's becoming blunted by, mm -hmm. partly by this over-medicalization, as you would see it, and I, and I think I would share that perspective. Um, but, you know, I, I accept that other people have, have, have sort of other views on that. Mm -hmm. But also certainly by this uh, sort of ideologization of the, mm -hmm. uh, I was tripping over my tongue to say that word, it's a sort of, but this sort of, uh, this sort of encroaching of, of ideology into into the profession um because you know that is teaching people that the world is a certain way right i mean what, what is the basic idea of, of of critical social justice it's the uh it's the idea that uh i might i'm actually read from my chapter because i've got a little i've got a little uh, i've got a little um definition in here here's the book by the way it's there a beautiful it cover it's it's a great cover, isn't it? I think I think it's uh, I think it's a really really striking and arresting one actually. Um, where am I? Chapter three. Uh, you know what is what is critical social justice? Well, this is easy for me to read this rather than uh, trying to remember it off the top of my head. It's a kind of it's the idea that Western societies are fundamentally oppressive you know so that all, all of the structures of our societies are based around uh maintaining the the power of of already existing powerful groups so you know whether it be you know whites or men or cisgender people or straight people or um uh, you know able people non-obese people you this you you can see that the pattern it, it kind of runs across the whole range of the of, of the the fields of critical uh, social justice I think so you got you so you so you're you're taught to believe that life is bleakly oppressive essentially mm -hmm. um, and then you've got the applied calls to action so you've got the moral requirement to believe that the world is like this because if you don't believe that the world is bleakly oppressive then there's something wrong with you um, then you've got to acknowledge how you yourself benefit from oppression. 
You've got to accept culpability for the continuation of that oppression. And then you've got to act to, to disrupt the structures of that oppression. It's a little definition I put in there. And of course, is the world like that? Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I think, I think there's plenty of space for debate there. Mm -hmm. um, probably the world is a bit like that, right? Because people like power, people like resources. It's uh, organisms like to accrue things. They like mm -hmm. to keep things and not have things taken from them. You know, people prefer to climb hierarchies rather than fall to the bottom of them. Um, that doesn't mean that hierarchies are fundamentally corrupt, of course, because, you know, let's take our profession, you know, it's it's kind of, uh, you know, somebody who's been doing it for 30 years is going to be higher up the hierarchy of competence than somebody who's been doing it for a year. Mm -hmm. That's just how it is. That's not a corrupt hierarchy. That's a kind of, that's it's an organic. Yeah, exactly. It's organic and it's, it's necessary. And one actually needs to understand that that there are these differences actually because mm -hmm. that, that helps you know helps you to to keep a to keep a, a handle on so understanding why people get to where they get to sometimes there's luck as well of course and luck doesn't mean it's corrupt either necessarily it just means it's sometimes you get lucky but i'm sure i'm sure there is corruption you know because people have in groups mm -hmm. again kirsty miller does a great uh chapter in the book clinical psychologist on talking about in-groups and out-groups mm -hmm. and uh, how they get formed through the sort of the crucible of uh, uh, sort of uh, social identity theory, uh, which is sort of, sort of not an idea from within psychotherapy, but from within clinical psychology. Um, very illuminating chapter. Uh, I'm slightly losing where I've gone. What was I saying? Oh, hierarchy. Yes, corruption. Ah, yes, <laughs> all right. So, you know, it's like... Yeah, people do have in-groups and racism exists and sexism exists mm -hmm. um and you know i mean a, 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 a psychoanalysts tend to be thought of as being a bit more depressive than their colleagues on the more person-centered wing of the profession so what i would say is uh you know hu human beings are pretty pretty bad in some ways you know we're pretty we're pretty disreputable you know we're we're pretty nasty to each other mm -hmm. Uh, and, or we can be. And then kind of one of the things you want to do in your life, I, I would say it's an ethical imperative to understand human nature, not just as being out there, but also being in you, right? I'm not that nice. Uh, I'm also not a monster. I'm just, I'm just a person, right? Mm. With various kind of attributes that are quite mixed. Some more positive, some more negative, depending on how you think about them. And you know, if you don't know yourself and you don't know other people, you can't really work to help people grow, you know, to work out when they want to kind of engage in that competitive aggression, say, for instance, that helps you get places mm -hmm. versus when they want to restrain it and maybe be more cooperative. Uh, I mean, sometimes we like doing things that don't bring us any benefit at all. You know, compassion is a part of the human uh, human nature as well. So we've got this very mixed nature. Um, and critical social justice is very keen at shining the torch on the negative side, but in this very split way. So in, in my chapter in the book, I talk about um, uh, Kleinian ideas 
uh, Melanie Klein, uh, she was a post-Freudian uh, sort of object relations theorist in, in Britain, and she talked a lot about splitting and projection. So, you know, the idea that you split off that was, which is intolerable to yourself, mm-hmm. and you project it into the other. And my God, I mean, you can see critical social justice doing this in the most kind of profound and, dare I say it, florid ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I want to make an important point here, which is that you can you can hold those views and not floridly split and project, right? You can be you can be a sophisticated critical social justice theorist, and they do exist. But there's something about the nature of the ideology and how it's grown that encourages its more kind of florid adherence. And what they do is they do something which is kind of maybe uh, sort of intellectually sophisticated, right? So they, they kind of say, we got this problem, people are bad. Um, well, we're gonna absolve the badness of non, um, uh, of non-dominant groups by saying that it doesn't really matter because it doesn't, it doesn't have an impact. It's only the badness of dominant groups that has an impact. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to look, we look a bit, going to look a bit further at these dominant groups. So let, let's say, you know, one group that all these ideas appeal to is um, middle class and upper middle class white intellectuals, uh, people who are quite successful, sort of near the top of the hierarchy, actually. Mm-hmm. in academia say uh, or, or the bureaucracies um and maybe they might feel a bit guilty about that so so the kind of the intellectually sophisticated thing to do is to say well actually I, I recognize that i i too am racist or i too am sexist or, or whatever it is but because i'm aware of it that makes me good and harmless mm-hmm. and actually because i'm aware of it i can do all these positive things but look at those terrible people over there who are just like me but they haven't acknowledged this mm-hmm. So on the surface, it looks like the person is admitting their mixed nature, mm-hmm. but it's a device, right? It's like it's, it's intellectually sophisticated, but it's uh, psychologically incredibly naive because mm-hmm. they use the kind of the the limited admission of their own kind of problematic nature to then project it onto the others. Uh, well, okay, I might be okay. I am problematic, sure, but actually, basically, I'm good because I'm not as problematic as they are. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's like a responsibility. It's like a buck shifting device. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, sure, that's that might that might pass as sophisticated in ideological terms and in the political arena. Uh, the political arena has never been known for you know nuance or sophistication. Um, I speak as somebody who used to be extremely political. I used to be very left wing, very involved in the Labour Party in the UK. A good comrade. Uh, but, um, you know, if you, if you, if you judge this by the, a nuanced understanding of human nature, uh, through, through psychological mechanisms, you can see that this is, this is a device, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a, it's a device that does what people have always done, which is take the badness, split it off and shove it over with someone else. Mm-hmm. And what therapy does is the opposite. It invites us to genuinely sit with our own mixed nature, but also those of others, right? Uh, it's not about, therapy is not about uh, making yourself feel unduly guilty or making your client feel unduly guilty. It's, it's about nuance and context. It's about helping your client understand 
that yes, they do have a mixed nature, they're not perfect, but that's just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's not some kind of special weight that they're carrying individually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it's, you look at some of these kind of uh, changes in the trainings and, and what's being, what's coming over the profession and um, all this, all this understanding about human nature is being lost in the service of power, mm-hmm. in the service of ideology. Uh, there's another chapter, a chap called Nick Opirchel, uh, I'm not, even, not sure I'm saying his uh, surname correctly, but it's a great chapter, in which he talks about how psychotherapy is becoming a part of the, the kind of the, maybe like the Brahmin class, the kind of the, the kind of priest class, the kind of the administrative class that defends the elite. So, you know, kind of maybe we, we have this sort of curious combination of hyper-capitalism and um, kind of socially progressive ideas that seems to be gaining ever more kind of dominance as a kind of the ideology we're meant to adopt in society if we want to remain in good standing and be good people. And, well, looks like psychotherapy is, is, is riding along to encourage that as well. And, you know, may, wh- why might that be? That, yeah, that's an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Again, it comes back to understanding our nature. We like power. People like power. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. But you have to know it mm-hmm. to know, to, to weigh it up, to decide when you want to push for what you want and push for influence. And when you think, actually, you know, power is great. Money is great. Influence is great. But actually, mm-hmm. there's there's something more important here or as important. We all need resources. We all need to be safe. Mm-hmm. But actually, if you want to be if you want to be a therapist, it really is not about imposing your own politics on your client. You know, I've I've got I've got political opinions. They've changed over the years. Um, I wouldn't say that I had a definitive ideology because I think they're all ideologies sort of close things down rather than open things up. But um, but whatever my politics are, I'm not here to tell my clients that you know my, my take on the world in those terms is right. Mm-hmm. It's absurd. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that- I that is I I think that that's you've you've really eloquently laid out the case against um, this this narrow mindset and, and the, the splitting and projection. Absolutely. That's, it's, it's so evident in the way that they operate. And um, something that you said a little bit earlier in the, in, in what you were talking about, I, I really liked how you said, this is a philosophical engagement, this endeavor of therapy. It's more philosophical than, than something medical or like this mental hygiene sort of like, I, I feel like that, that is, we've been losing the nuance of it for some time. And this just sort of fits neatly in. And one of the things that was so, I think, shocking to me about the injection of critical social justice into the therapy training is that lack of nuance and that lack of inspection of, or, or awareness of the, the, the complexity of human nature, of the self and of others, and the distilling it down to these really, um, really caricature 
illustrations of what what a person is and yeah. uh it it is it's really stunning that this has taken hold and that it's gotten any traction whatsoever i i don't understand how it was allowed to be an exception to the way that we think about things and the way that we think about human beings do you have any thoughts on that how did it sneak in and slip past all of these really intelligent and thoughtful people i do i do have some thoughts on it but i'd also be interested in what your thoughts on it might be and the reason i say that is because you're you're kind of closer to the you're you're more you're more of a canary in the coal mine than I am, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. because you you've been up close to it. Um, now, when I did my training, it was it really wasn't like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there were there were some people who kind of promoted sort of feminist psychoanalysis, and that's fine, right? It's like I, you don't expect tutors not to have a kind of a position or a commitment necessarily, but you you know, and, and of course. Uh, you know, somebody who's training who kind of puts it across how they see it but there was never this sense that you you kind of you had to take on board this this specific way of looking at something otherwise you were you're done you you, you weren't part of the community of the good anymore mm-hmm. um it's like uh whereas you you've had the you've had the opposite experience i think so you've, you've sort of seen it mm-hmm. do you have any thoughts about is it because you've seen the dynamics up close and personal well, I think that, um, I, I mean, I have a number of, of thoughts around why people are, are drawn to this and what, what makes people adopt this way of thinking and what makes it palatable to people who are, being, who are younger and being trained in this way of thinking. It really ties things up in a nice bow, for one thing. There are complex social dynamics. And as you say, it's very true that we have imbalance. We have power disparity. We have groups that are favored over other groups and have historically had more access to resources. And there are legitimate reasons why with a, with, with an historical mind, sociological, from a sociological perspective, you could pull out and you can see these social dynamics that in, in play that could cause resentments and disparity and, and difficulty for, uh, for disadvantaged groups. And so there, there's truth in this and there's, there's a core of, of legitimacy to their claims. And yes, it's something that from a sociological perspective, we can describe in these more simplistic ways because we're doing general, uh, we're, we're describing a general pattern it's the distillation of that down to the individual level that loses the humanity and it becomes as you know as the title of the book says cynical because it's looking at people as less than individuals and more as like cogs in a in a bigger game and that doesn't make sense for individuals because that has never made sense for individuals and if anybody should see that it should be a, a psychologist or a psychotherapist or a counselor or somebody who's work is understanding people at the individual level. But again, I can understand why young, naive, um, inexperienced people would be drawn towards these explanations because they do offer a tidy way of organizing Mm -hmm. the world and organizing your thoughts around the world. Plus Mm -hmm. there's the temptation to apply victimhood 
narratives because we all struggle, we all suffer, we all feel oppressed in certain ways. And to have somebody offer you this on a platter that, yeah, you've been wronged and this this is why you're not more successful than you could be. And not only that, but you know, it's that guy over there that did it and you should feel resentful towards him. Um, it, it offers you sort of an opportunity to abdicate your own power and your, and to escape responsibility for your own, your own needs and unfulfilled parts of self. Mm. So that's very tempting. And then on the other hand, it offers social credits in the form of com demonstration of compassion, um, demonstration of sort of, uh, you know, putting self before, putting others before yourself, looking like the good as guy, it these, as it appears, exactly, because as you yeah. described, that is just, that is a yeah. way to earn capital, it's a way to earn uh, power in a, like, it is a backdoor to power by allyship or whatever, so, yeah, oh, I, I, I know, allyship. <laughs> I know, I know. There's so many of the words that I, I just want to put like quotes around, but um, so I, I, I feel like mm -hmm. I, I have observations and thoughts around a lot of this, but one of the things that perplexes me is how the, what happened at the upper levels of education and psychology, what happened that people who were seasoned and who were experienced and who have been putting together these curricula and these um, these trainings and, and have been working with people on the individual level for years and years, how did they allow this, this blatant disregard for all the foundational principles of what they teach? How, mm. what, what made this an attractive enough ex exception that they invited it in and, and let it take over? And it just seems, like some, that's the, I guess that's the big question for me is like, what, what corrupted their thinking to the point where we have allowed this quote, cultural competency, this, this critical consciousness, this indoctrination system in mm. where mm. it is in such stark contrast to everything, the, the philosophy of, of psychology um, normally embodies. Yeah, it is. I think it's. I think. I think you said something at the beginning of our discussion that I think you were talking about uh, sort of surpassing sort of the issue, and I I still feel I'm doing that. You know, mm -hmm. it's like and I, I I feel it's actually uh, perhaps it's sort of in a way maybe it's sort of tempting to think oh we've done it to death. You know, it's like woke woke anti woke anti woke. Yeah. But no, I think it's really complicated, and I think there's lots of different elements to it. And I think if we want to um, kind of find a way back to pluralism, which might not be possible, but if we want to find a way back to pluralism, then we have to start to actually get a, a much more granular and nuanced understanding of it. Uh, I, I mean, I mean on the—I don't mean on the political level. I mean on the ur, the ur political level, but you know, beneath politics, mm -hmm. um, before politics, you know, because this is—I think. Something comes to mind is I think Nietzsche had something to say about all this, right? Yeah, he said God is dead. Um, Brett Alderman, great chapter in the book, uh, is uh, he's writing about um, you know CSJ is a is a is a, a God-shaped piece, jigsaw piece for a God-shaped hole. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and you know Nietzsche, Nietzsche, and as he, he as he, he talks a lot about Jung, what Jung thought about religion in his chapter. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a kind of uh, yeah, Nietzsche and Jung both had a lot to say about this, um, because when God is dead, <laughs> it it seems that it doesn't mean that you stop being. It seems that it doesn't mean that you stop making irrational commitments or irrational commitments. Mm -hmm. It just means that you make different irrational commitments. So if God is dead, you stop worshiping God, but you worship something else. So every every person has a God. I think that's the conclusion that I've come to. And the problem for me is that CSJ, it's just, I'm an apostate, right? Because it's it's not a good enough God for me. Mm. It's a big crap. Sorry, shouldn't swear on your, <laughs> No, your that's <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it's it's just not. It's going to sound like a frivolous thing to say, actually, but I'm going to say it. anyway. One of the one of the things I hate most about this ideo this ideology kind of coming to therapy is that therapy is a thing of beauty. It's, it's really messy and complicated, but it's very beautiful. It's a well crafted, albeit messily crafted thing, and you know, critical theory and and the kind of the 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 sort of the Marxism from which it ultimately kind of emerges. Well, maybe let's see Marxism because because that that's interesting. I think I think Marx had a few interesting things to say actually. But but critical theory as it as it becomes applied in the world, it's a kind of it's very very ugly and it's very very stupid. Mm -hmm. And it sounds funny to have an aesthetic objection, uh, but I but I do because I think mm -hmm. I think beauty matters in life. And everything shouldn't be ugly and everything shouldn't be stupid. And, you know, I suppose I'm sort of implying that I think I'm sort of, you know, clever. And maybe, I suppose I am implying that, um, you know, other people can form their own conclusions. They can agree or disagree. Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm, so, I don't think I'm some, this is the other thing. I don't think I'm some great intellectual, right? We've got various people in this book who've been published previously. I haven't, I haven't had anything published previously because yeah, sure. I'm a good therapist. I mean, so I think mm -hmm. I'm a good enough therapist, but I I'm a therapist, right? It's like what I do is it's individual, but it's also derivative. It's like I take the ideas of these great practitioners and I sit, find my own synthesis of it. Mm -hmm. And then I offer it to clients. Uh, and it's partly intellectual, it's partly embodied and it's it's partly cognitive and it's partly intuitive. It's obviously loads of things going on, but it's like I'm not some great intellectual. In fact, I would say since becoming a therapist, I've become less intellectual. Mm -hmm. Because I've become more attuned to the embodied and the intuitive, and less focused on the the, the cognitive sort of ordered, structured world of the mind. Mm -hmm. But I've got enough of that still up there from you know former days when I used to be much headier. Uh, I've got enough of that up there to 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 realise that this is just not not much in it, actually at heart. Mm -hmm. yeah, you ask somebody to. I don't know how they produce all of this um scholarship on it because it's just not that complicated mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's actually very simple mm -hmm. um no that's i don't think that's a frivolous um framework uh, you know a thing of beauty and a thing of a thing that's quite blunt and ugly because it is true i mean you just it's it's sort of like <laughs> you can see it's pixels you know <laughs> it's it's such a uh, reductive and and 
oh yeah harsh harsh and and all-consuming worldview that doesn't allow for flourishing it doesn't mm-hmm. really allow for that at all it's it's a it cultivates resentment and it cultivates um guilt and it's just it focuses on the ugliest parts of human nature and as you say it's not it's not an entirely false worldview it's just that it's it reduces everything down to these things that are a part of it, it, it's, it's part of its temptation in, is in its honesty and its simplicity. And people have, yeah. you know, as we get shorter attention spans, it's more tempting to read the bumper sticker than to read the book. Yeah. And so it's more easily consumable, but it's missing. It lacks all of the, the vibrance of, of real life, you know, real mm it's sterile yes it is sterile yes there's a sterility very carefully packaged very carefully structured thing and Mm. again the thing about therapy is therapy isn't sterile because you never know what's going to happen so you shouldn't you shouldn't be yes of course you know as somebody who uses psychoanalysis i've got various views on how current you know the way the way somebody presents their character structure in the world today might well be related to stuff that's happened to them in the past Mm -hmm. but you know, I don't know the full story. I actually have to talk to them. It's like therapy is two people coming together who there's two aspects. Therapy is two people coming together who don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it's two people coming together who are both experts on different things. Mm-hmm. The client is the expert on themselves mm-hmm. and the therapist, well, look, if they've done sufficient work, then they should be expert enough on the human condition, i.e. the world in which we live and human nature. Mm-hmm. how how those how those things interact uh you know that's why it's partly philosophical activity this right you, you've got to you've got to think about you know what is the nature of existence what, mm-hmm. what are we trying to get out of it and it's like you know analysts have been doing that for a long time you had freud who talked about well it's about the avoidance of pain and the, the gain of pleasure mm-hmm. i think there's there's plenty in that right and then you get kind of uh someone like frankel coming along and saying oh, what's all that meaning Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot in that as well, because I think we really, we really seek meaning. And Adler talked about kind of power. We want power. And I think that's true as well. We want power. And then the like the object relations theorists uh, in Britain after the war, we're talking about relationship, actually. The thing we seek most is relationship with, with other objects. And that's true. We seek relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if you, if you put all those four things together, then you've got, you're starting to get an approximation of mm-hmm. what a human being might be motivated by but you know critical social justice doesn't doesn't do any of that it's because it's fundamentally not psychological it's fundamentally sociological mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's fine go and do your sociology mm-hmm. don't wreck don't wreck my profession with it yeah don't come in here and tell us that you've got all the insights and that you're going to tell us how to do our jobs because well as as our book shows we've got as many insights about critical social justice as it does on us you know yeah i think that that is such an important point to to highlight is that it's sociological and not psychological and that's that's where it's both true and in and not untrue but inappropriate for certain endeavors you know it is definitely it's based on sociological understandings that are attempted to be applied on the individual level 
And so I think that there's this inherent um, disagreement between the individual and the collective that we keep seeing. You know, one of the things with critical social justice is it wants to emphasize the collective, but it wants to take this aggregate, like collective mindset and, and apply that to the individual level. And that's where I think the hiccups are arising. That's where the conflict really is. And that's where it's so at odds with any kind of individual search for meaning. Mm. Absolutely. And that, that, that kind of emphasis on the collective, mm -hmm. well, I sort of think of those being three levels. There's like, there's the individual, there's the group, and there's the universal. Mm -hmm. And like the universal is, is a lot of the existential stuff. It's like, well, you know, actually it doesn't matter whether you're, um, you know, whether you're an Inuit sort of living a kind of, pre-industrial lifestyle in the Arctic Circle mm -hmm. or whether you're a sort of stressed professional working in the city of London there are lots of universal human experiences love loss fear pain all these mm. these things are not they're not group based and then and then at the other end there's the individual exactly as you say that actually at the end of the day every time you see somebody in therapy but not just therapy it was every time you encounter anybody in the world in any place at any time you're you're encountering an individual right with their own weirdnesses idiosyncrasies and disappointments and joys uh and the collective level that's real it exists right because it's like mm -hmm. you know although i think something that's that again that the, the critical theory stuff forgets is that to a certain extent people have their collectivities defined for them and to a certain extent you pick your own you actually sort of get to decide which to emphasize. Mm -hmm. So it's like, this is a very, you know, what's, what's more important to me? Um, you know, being a man or being British mm -hmm. or being white or being a psychotherapist mm -hmm. or, um, you know, coming from a working class background and then ending up uh, growing up in a middle class background. You know, there's all sorts of different things that different people have experiences of. And you you sort of, you you find the commonalities that matter. Now, actually, I think, I think let's say race is an example. I think race is, is a very common basis upon which people make um, in-group and out-group assessments. And I think, I think critical social justice writes about that. But you don't have to make the whole of life a catastrophe as a result. It's like you can you can you can ameliorate that where you think it's healthy to do so. You can lean into it where you want to. I mean, you know, if you want to go to a kind of, you know, if you're black, you want to go to sort of a black evangelical church. Why not? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, there's a. It's a kind of like a, people have cultural and ethnic interests. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That isn't itself intrinsically problematic, unless you start to split and project and then kind of conceive of the other as very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Because when you start to conceive of people who are different to you as very dangerous, rather than simply different, then, then, you, then you've got some trouble, right? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you forget all the commonalities you have and you only notice the, the, the differences that do exist. So, mm -hmm. so I think this idea of individual, collective and universal is really, that's really helped me. Mm -hmm. I, 
I can't remember where I got it from. I didn't come up with it, but I just I think it's I just I just really like it. And um, the, the, they emphasize the collective to the exclusion of these other two, but they're mm -hmm. all real. They're all real. You know, and I've never all... thought about it that way before. You said that the with adding the universal in as the other, mm -hmm. and and I think that there's such a tendency right now for everything to be very polarized. We're we're being driven into this. I don't know if we're being driven to it. We, we're tending to as a, you know, we're seeing it culturally across the zeitgeist, this this tendency towards polarization. And so you want to see the individual over here and the collective over here. But what you are adding in when you're adding in the universal is something that's really, um, it changes the picture completely, but, and it engages both of those. So that's really interesting. And I like that a lot. And I like also, you know, your point about you can sort of choose your, if you want to choose identity categories, if you will, mm. you have so many to choose from mm. so many. And they, one of the things that I sort of bristle at with this critical social justice is the, the concept of having identities, having intersectional identities. And they've offered you this little, little selection that your self is supposed to be made of and it's their presets and the weight of each in your composition is preset by the critical theorists. So the way that you're, uh, the way that you presented that is I think a really nice counter because it is true that there's going to be different weights placed on things by different individuals depending on their own uh, experiences, interests, cultural upbringing, et cetera. And it's not going to be necessarily this like little subset of sociological, uh, you know, demographic categories that the critical Absolutely. choose. And I mean, you know, obviously, I mean, you can see that in your personal life, right? You know, you know, people you know who are of different ethnicities, uh, you know, clients of different ethnicities, a lot of my clients, uh, uh, I mean, a minority of my clients are, are white British. A lot of my clients are either not white or they're they're not from the UK. Uh, obviously, London's a very sort of mixed sort of uh, place. But um, it's kind of like they don't all have one interpretation mm -hmm. of 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 their experience. I mean, it's 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 so simple. It's so obvious to say, and yet somehow it needs saying. Mm. Um, and I think you know. I think racism is a real thing. Obviously, I mean, it, it, I, I mean, maybe maybe there are some people who want to deny that. So I don't know. I, I guess maybe there are, but I, I don't. And I think you know, racism, the experience of racism, comes up in talking with my non-white clients. Uh, and I actually, I think it's rare for it not to come up. But it's also not the core of the work, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not kind of. It's not first and foremost. Well, first and foremost, it's it's a, exactly it's a it's a mm -hmm. everybody's experience is a kaleidoscope, right? Mm -hmm. And then what you're doing when you're a therapist is you're helping people. I mean, that's it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, I think you know, you, you, when you're sort of you're trying to help people have mentalized different possibilities as well. So mm -hmm. it's like if somebody snubs you, well, maybe it is because they're a misogynist. Or maybe it is because they're a racist. 
Uh, which I don't really like the A. I'm, I'm sort of slipping into something I don't like. Maybe it's because they have misogynistic tendencies or, or mm. racist tendencies. Mm. I don't think anybody's A misogynist or A racist. Mm. So, every, every human being is a little complicated. But, you know, maybe maybe they are expressing some kind of activistic negativity there. They might be. Mm-hmm. Or alternatively, maybe they're having a bad day. You know, so you kind of, one of the things you do in therapy is you're always kind of a, and you can't come to an answer, right? It's just about being able to pursue different different mm-hmm. ideas. Mm-hmm. You're pursuing how the outer world and the inner world combine, mm-hmm. how they kind of interact with one another. And yeah, I mean, you know, people do sometimes feel like an outsider. And that can be because they're being treated like an outsider. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or it can be because they've had development experiences that lead them to feel like they're an outsider. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But as we so often say in therapy, now is not then. Mm-hmm. Now is different to the now is different to the past. Or at least it often is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of this stuff is covered in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's uh, you know, having had a chance now to read my colleagues' contributions. It's, it's fantastic. It's really, you know, there are some very intelligent people writing some very incisive stuff in this book. And um, you don't have to be a therapist to, you know, if you're interested in sociocultural issues and what's going on around us in the world and the the kind of the, the increasing totalization of society towards politics. Suddenly everything seems about mm-hmm. politics. Mm-hmm. Like that one, it wasn't like that 20 years ago, was it? Um, if you're interested in this stuff, this book will it'll give you food for thought. And I, I think it will help orient you actually. I, I, it's helping me worry myself actually. Well, I haven't gotten my copy yet, but I'm really looking forward to reading it. Mm. Where would you suggest people go to find it or find more information? So you, there's a, a link on the CTA website, uh, which hopefully might be in the, the yep. bottom. It's criticaltherapyantidote.org, I believe. Well, that's right. right. Okay. And I'll put that in the, in the notes. That's right. And um, uh, there's a, so the book is, uh, there's a page there about the book. Mm-hmm. And um, on that page, you will see the places you can buy it, all of them. You can buy it in Kindle from uh, various places you can buy it uh, in, uh, in in hard copy form in this beautiful hard copy form right here, uh, which you can uh, get from Amazon or the book depository, I think, or you can get it on Kindle from I think, Como and Barnes and Noble and various places. Do you have any other recommendations that you wanna mention for, for anybody interested in doing some more reading or, or more viewing? Well, what, what do I kind of I mean CTA is a good a good place to look I think um new discourses mm-hmm. you want to if you want to if you really want to get to grips with what the ideology is about rather than some of the impacts it's having mm-hmm. you know that's very useful and um of course if you haven't got cynical theories mm-hmm. that's a useful book to uh to to purchase there's, there's a lot of uh commentary in the book um for kind of further further reading. Uh, 
I mean, it depends how kind of you can sort of bring it in or open it out, can't you? I mean, I I, I would. Um, I think there's some. I think there's some quite insightful stuff that uh, being uh, written by um, Nick in his chapter, and when he's talking about. Um, psychotherapy ideology and the new aristocracy because I, I i think there is a kind of a useful sociological overlay mm -hmm. to be thinking about here mm -hmm. and he uh talks about uh uh psychoanalyst christopher lash who also kind of wrote about politics and the kind of the the kind of uh how would we put it that i suppose the that uh, politics is becoming increasingly therapeutic and at mm. the same time therapy is becoming increasingly politicized mm. but actually this doesn't serve either space very well because mm -hmm. they're different spaces that's very um, interesting and then political philosopher michael lind and this was nick who's this author nick this is uh this is nick opirchel okay. who i never met but okay. he's written a great a great chapter in here uh, so well done nick if you're watching so uh, uh are there any do, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to highlight or um or any final final points that you think are really important to emphasize i think if you want to stay oriented remember that the psychodynamic insight that everybody is self-interested is very important so remember that if somebody believes something and is trying to get you to believe something, they have a reason for that. And it is a, a thing that is for themselves. You know, it, it might be as simple as that they get pleasure from spreading the, the gospel of truth, but it might be a bit more complicated than that. And it might be about, you know, competition for power is a real thing. Right. And every every individual needs to to orient themselves around that in their own way. Um, but also remember that not everything is about power. So here's the thing, as a, as a, as a therapist, I'm always torn between cynicism and, um, well, naivety, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And I think I think you have to be able to hold both of those poles. Mm -hmm. um, but don't. If somebody else is trying to make you feel guilty, don't take it on. Mm. We've all got enough guilt. We've all got enough guilt to feel ourselves in our lives, you know. Um, don't don't reject guilt because it's it's important information. Mm. But if somebody is trying to guilt trip you, then that's a different thing. That's a kind of a manipulation. Mm -hmm. um, and also, if you if you think this ideology helps you well maybe it does in some way what are the costs i talk about that in my chapter what are the costs mm -hmm. well i know for a fact that if you go around life thinking you're a victim mm -hmm. you're gonna have a you're gonna have a life that's a hell mm -hmm. i'll put that very clearly it's no good mm -hmm. you can see why people do it 
because it makes them feel kind of reassured that their failings aren't their own. And sometimes sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. But again, you need to find that judicious balance mm-hmm. of understanding your capacities and your limitations. Mm-hmm. This is this is the, the sacred work, the sacred work of therapy. And and of a life well lived, actually. Well, I think that's brilliantly expressed and I have found so much value in this conversation. I'm actually looking forward to listening back and uh, taking it all in again, because I really appreciate your perspective and the way that you have framed things. I think that this has been so interesting for me and I really appreciate you coming on and having this conversation with me. Well, thank you so much for having me, Leslie, because it's, it's a great opportunity to promote the book and also I don't I don't do much podcasting. Maybe I'll do a bit more now. I don't know, but I don't do much. It's a lovely opportunity to actually get some of this out. Yeah, you know, have a chance. Yeah, really, really appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. Well, awesome. Thank you. And before we go, is there uh, anything you want to plug for yourself? Do you have a website or I'll, I'll put everything yeah, in the a... notes? But if you want to verbally say it for people, sure. I've got a website. It's uh, uk uh you can uh contact me there well really i suppose if you're looking for therapy <laughs> if you think <laughs> that uh you know my uh what i've had to say or my perspective is useful to you excellent uh, I'm, on, I'm on twitter as well actually but I, I barely ever tweet i think twitter's a very negative thing but i'm i'm, I'm trying to tweet a bit more yeah. uh at a healer tweets a healer tweets a okay healer tweets. Okay. Yeah. It's a strange thing, Twitter. I'm been spending a little time there recently and finding it interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the devil's work in some ways, I think. <laughs> well, thank you again, Ben. Cheers, Leslie. Thank you so much.